Um, since we are in a sermon series, I'm going to catch you guys up. If you haven't been able to, to follow along uh, with every sermon that we've preached in Ecclesiastes, um, this isn't um, promotion anyway. This is just if you want to catch up, you can actually listen to the sermons online um, at thecoffeeoasis.com. Um, if you want to catch up, these, this has been one of my favorite sermon series to preach, and I actually think I probably end every sermon series thinking that. But this, <laughs> this one has been particularly very good. Um, it's been titled, uh, The Meaning of Life, because that's what Solomon's dealing with. And in particular, he's dealing with um, life um, underneath the sun, which is what he calls it, which is this life as if there were no God, what would life be like? And so that was week one, just simply saying, what would the perspective be if, if everything that we saw and everything we did, we didn't have any regard for God? What would that kind of life look like? And then after that, we looked at how that applied to different things. The second being, um, being pleasure. Just uh, if there was no God and I just did whatever my heart desired, how would, how would that result? And... Um, the idea was uh, the pursuit of pleasure is empty when, when God is excluded from it. Um, we saw uh, or heard a couple of quotes from a guy named Blaise Pascal, and one of the things he said is, he goes, um, it, takes, it takes something infinite to fill the infinite abyss within. And, and all the little things that we chase after and I think are so good, we realize they just aren't enough to fill the infinite abyss. That... Um, that when I talk about, it's one of those things, like, honestly, when I talk about it, I'm like, you too? <laughs> because, like, I know it's in me. It's just crazy to think that you have that too. Um, and, and, and it's crazy to think how many things we think will fill that, but don't. Um, and even after we come to know Jesus, how many things we keep trying. <laughs> um, so that was week two. Week three was the, we looked at work and how work is a gift from God for co-creating with him. Um, so he didn't make us just to exist. He made us to be creators also. Um, it made, it, work is made for serving one another. Uh, we only know the goodness of work when we realize it's not for serving ourselves, but for serving others and for enjoying life. So I'm not, I can't go deep into that one, but I want to because half of you who weren't there are like, how can work be for enjoying life? Um, Ask the neighbor next to you who was there for that Sunday, and they can tell you the whole sermon, I'm sure. Um, the fourth week was on, on suffering. What, is, um, what, are we, what sense can we make of what seems to be senseless suffering in the world? Um, and, and we looked at not only um, the beginning of Ecclesiastes 4 with that, but we looked also all at the very end um, when we saw suffering, not in relationship just to the moment, but in relationship to knowing God and being able to ask him questions and also see the ultimate end of all humanity, right? Um, not just weighing the moment by what we value in that moment, but by seeing every moment in relation to who God is and what he's doing on this, this grand big scale. So that was just enough, hopefully, to make you go, I want to know more about that, and please ask. Uh, this week, we are talking about relationships. Um, and Solomon isn't a guy I would necessarily point you to for relationship advice, since he did have 700 wives. But, um, but maybe he learned something from that. And so if you'll stand with me, 
We're going to read in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. In Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12, it reads, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so relationships. <clears throat> There's a book that, um, that we read often growing up. I don't know if, if you grew up in America, you probably are very familiar with the Golden Books. How many of you guys know Golden Books? Little Golden Books. They have like Golden Spine. Yeah. See, they did a good job. Because <laughs> all you guys know about them. There's a little Golden Book called Polly's Pet. Does anyone know Polly's Pet? Okay, we got, we got a couple. Um, Polly's Pet is a story about a cat. And, and Polly's Pet, this cat, uh, is just fed up and tired with being dressed up, pushed around in a baby stroller, pinched and prodded. And so Polly's Pet comes with the, up with the idea of, I'm going to run away. Because it is better, it is better to do what I want than to be Polly's pet. And so this cat gets in a taxi and goes to the airport and gets on a plane and flies to Alaska or somewhere where there's snow. So, so Polly's pet um, gets up there and, and for the first days, it is wonderful. Polly's pet ice skates and goes ice fishing and now I don't know how a cat got away with all this but but that's what the story tells us and and so after a few days then Polly's pet realizes that she starts seeing or he whatever this cat is starts seeing uh, other animals that are with their owner ice skating or ice fishing and and all of a sudden Polly's pet starts feeling very alone just very isolated. And, and so then eventually Polly's pet calls Polly, and Polly and her brother are so excited. And, and so Polly's pet gets on a plane and flies back home. And, and then the end of the story is, and then even though it was hard to be dressed up and pinched and prodded, Polly didn't mind, Polly's pet didn't mind too much anymore because Polly's pet was home. And right, that's, it's a simple, silly story, but it has a moral. And the moral of the story is that, that with, with loneliness comes sadness, right? And that's sort of the, uh, the moral you get in what Solomon is sharing also. No, and it's not necessarily 
being alone, but it is the feeling of loneliness. That is, is something that is, um, is a, like a sickness in the heart of a, a human being. Um, and while the story might seem common sense or immoral that, that is obvious, um, the truth is that, that loneliness is something that is, is like a plague in our culture. And I'm going to share with you some... Um, I read a couple articles that were, were just incredible dealing with this. Um, the first one was just called, it's called Loneliness is Death. And it says that since 1980, those who are adults, the number of people who have considered themselves lonely or would say, I'm lonely, has increased 100%. So it was, in 1980s, it was 20%. And, and now, this article was written in, in 2010, uh, 40% of adults say that they suffer from chronic loneliness. Um, and the, the article is titled, Loneliness is Deadly, or Loneliness is Death, because it says this, the increased mortality risk is comparable to that of smoking. Loneliness is about twice as dangerous, even as being overweight. Social isolation impairs immune functions and boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. Loneliness is breaking our hearts, but as a culture, we rarely talk about it. That's, that's what's going on. And then the reason, again, for why we, we rarely talk about it is because even not just in the feeling of loneliness, but the, the feeling of when I talk about it, there's a feeling of shame. And the question was, well, why would there be shame in that? And there, there's shame in that for a lot of people because of the idea, if I were better, then maybe someone would be there for me. Maybe if I was someone else or different in some way, then, then maybe I would have friends. And this was actually really um, expressed. There was a guy, um, a professor for New York, New York University, who um, wrote a book called Loneliness, which was a bestseller um, in 2008. And, and he says, the greatest feeling of loneliness he had was when he was on his plane, when he was on a plane holding his own book. And he said he had this overwhelming desire to hide the book because he didn't want people around him to think that somehow he was lonely. (laughs) The book that he himself had written, he was ashamed that maybe someone would assume that he he was lonely. This is what Solomon's addressing in Ecclesiastes, and, and there's three things he looks at, and, and I want to address them, and, um, and I want this to be a conversation that we have in our church. Um, I want this to be a conversation we have with one another. Um, the first thing he talks about is that, that there is sadness and loneliness, or just simply the problem of being alone. Um, and the second thing he says, there is joy in being together. And the third is that there is then strength in God. Um, so there is sorrow or sadness and loneliness. The question that went in my mind over, it just repeated itself over and over in my mind when I studied this, is how is it possible that in a world of over 7 billion people where we have conversations 
or hear them often about the world being potentially overpopulated, how is it possible that anyone can be alone? In a world of over 7 billion people, how is it possible that anyone feels alone? And that's just a really important question for us. Why is it, in, in, when we are surrounded by people, even possibly some of you here who are surrounded by people, how is it possible that we feel so alone? And, and the Bible speaks to that. Um, and I want you to hear this, even if you've heard this before, I, I want, and even if you don't feel alone, I want you to, to hear what the Bible is saying about this from the creation story. And we talk about this a lot, but I, honestly, this is the answer, and we need to figure out what to do with this. Um, in the beginning, as God creates Adam and Eve, there's this profound moment, and the first time any, any disapproval is ever mentioned in the Bible. Do you know what that disapproval was? Yes, it is not good for man to be alone. That's the first time in all scripture where it's like, this isn't good. Creation happened and it was like, this is awesome, this is good, this is super sweet. And then, and then Adam is alone and it says, that, that isn't good. Um, so what you get in, in Genesis 1 is sort of this, uh, this quick overview, this, this 3,000 foot, uh, 30,000 foot like drop down view of what happens in creation. And you see, uh, you know, it says, and God in his image made man and woman. But then in chapter 2, you get to start seeing how that worked out, what, what the play-by-play was, like the slow replay, if it's like an NFL game, right? And you're like, oh, he stepped out of bounds, right? Okay, so chapter 2, what you see is God makes Adam, so he forms him from the dirt, and then, and then it's not like, okay, then Eve, what happens is he, he brings Adam and has him start naming the animals, Right? And this is something that we've, we've talked about, but if you aren't here, it's, it's like one of the, the funnier parts, I think, of, of the beginning of the Bible, because he starts naming them. Okay, that's, you know, it's going to be an ant eater because it eats the little ants. And, that's, and so he names all of them, and then at the end of the time, what does it say? It says, Adam realized that, they, that none of them were, were compatible to him. None of them were, like, he was like, none of these I really find attractive, God. And God's like, good! <laughs> That's good! You learned something, and what Adam learned was what? He, he learned that he was alone. Like, lesson number one for Adam is that he needed somebody else. <laughs> And, and God didn't just tell him that. This is, this is what's so powerful. God didn't just tell Adam, hey, Adam, so you're by yourself. He actually had Adam experience loneliness. And in experiencing loneliness, then came, don't worry, Adam, it's not good that you're alone. Like that feeling that this isn't, this isn't right, something isn't right here, that's, that's a right feeling to have. 
Because you're meant to be paired. And so he, and God forms Eve, and Adam then is just really excited. Adam is like, yes! And so then the, what, then the first song of the Bible, right? Adam sings, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Uh, you know, he, so, so this is what we learn from the creation story, is essentially what Solomon is saying here. It, it isn't good for man to be alone. There is sorrow in that. The two things Solomon mentions here is, one is um, to be without family. What he says is uh, son or brother. Um, and, and I think this happens multiple ways. There's, there's, some of this happens because of, of choices or brokenness in relationships in our life. Some of this is things that we decide to do, some things... Sometimes this happens because of other things that have been done out of our control. But there's a, there's a loneliness that comes from that. Um, the second thing he mentions in regard to this is, then what do we work for? And this, this just goes back to the lesson we learned in chapter 2 where he says, because we learn that work isn't for yourself. I heard it once said that um, no one ever on their deathbed regretted not doing more overtime at work. No one on their deathbed was like, oh, if I only got that last project done. Like, oh, man, if I had worked 60 hours a week, my life would have been so much more fulfilling. If only I had neglected my family more. No, that's not what happens. What happens? Oh, did I treat the time with my family as precious as I should have treated it? Did I give them the time that, man, that I know I, now that I should have given them? That, that's what happens. And that's, that's the perspective we get here. Um, there's a, this is powerfully illustrated in um, a book that I read, and then it was released as a movie uh, about a guy named Christopher McCandless. Um, the book is called Into the Wild. And the movie, how it illustrates it, it's a man who... Um, he goes away, he, he travels, and what he says is to no longer be poisoned by civilization. And then you get a man who just travels further and further and further away, and eventually he's in Alaska, and he's by this bus, and, and he cannot return because he waited too long, and um, he ends up eating um, what he thought was a wild potato plant, and it ends up being a poisonous plant. And he's out there alone, and, and on his deathbed, he says this. He says, happiness is only real when it is shared. And then his very last daydream, as he's, as he's nodding off, is this. He says, what if I were smiling and running into your arms? Would you then see, would you see then what I see now? Right? This experience, and, and what he's going through is his, his family that had been torn apart and all these things. And, and this, these are his last thoughts. Right? This man who, and that's a, this is a true story of Christopher McCandless, who escaped trying to get away to isolation, to maybe somehow experience something that was more real. Um, and he realized that what was most real is something that he had chosen, chosen to, um, to move away from. And that moves us to the second point, which is that there is joy in being together. And there is this natural joy in, 
in friendship and in finding others to share life with. Um, <clears throat> and Solomon shares these in, in three very simple ways. The first is that um, he says, if you fall down, then someone, this person who's with you can help pick you up again. Uh, if you are cold and you have someone else with you, then you can stay warm. Um, if you are in a dangerous situation and you have somebody with you, uh, you can defend yourself. And, um, and you know, you probably know that feeling. When you have somebody with you, you're just a lot more courageous. You feel a lot more brave. Um, and what I, I really like about this is just the very natural aspect of being together with people. And, um, and I know in, in the, you come to church and we talk about, um, like, if you trust God, then... Um, what, what we don't always maybe do a good job of is just saying, like, the basic things just God created that are just good. Um, and, and, and those are things like friendship. Like, friendship is just good. Anyone on the face of the earth, whether they believe in God or not, can experience the beauty of friendship. Okay? Like, when God created Adam and Eve, right? And, it, and we, we just talked about that in Genesis. They were just a simple, common joy in the sharing of life together. Um, and, and so in your life, I encourage you to share just common natural joys with people. Um, I, I experienced this a lot this last couple of years um, in my community group. I know I've shared a community group with some of you guys. It's, we meet on Wednesday nights. And, and I'm not in one. I haven't been in one for the last seven months because of school that I'm doing. And I've truthfully missed it a ton. Um, and the reason is because that became for me just friendships. And one of the, the things we talk about in community group is it's, it's first is we want to be people who talk about Jesus together. The second thing is we just want to be people who have fun together. And, and a lot of times in the Bible study setting, we forget that, right? We're like, we have to be talking serious the whole time. But there's a joy in just spending time with people. And, um, and I would encourage you as Christians to not choose your own place of sacrifice. Because I know for us, and and if you don't relate with this, that's fine. If you do, please hold on to these words, that don't sacrifice beautiful friendships around you. Oftentimes we'll be like, oh, I constantly need to be serving. I constantly need to be giving. I constantly need to be like giving up time with people that refresh me to be spending time with people that take from me. There's just something good, natural, and beautiful to spend time with people that are just, like, loving you, right? And that you, you share with, you have a lot in common with. And that, I think, Solomon's talking about. There is just good, natural, common joy in that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Love that, seriously. And I'm speaking, I'm, like, preaching now from my heart because... Because too much in my life, I have not invested in, in friendships where, honestly, like, we just share a lot in common and just have a blast with them. Why? Because, because I have this, oh, my personal sense of sacrifice where I constantly need to be giving. And then that's not good. There's a natural good common joy in just being with people that you, you love and love you in return. But the challenge with this, though, is, um, is that it's not just time with people that is good. It's the quality of time that you have. Um, in the, some of the studies I was, I was reading, it, it said over and over again that it is not the quantity of time that, that shows whether a person is lonely or not. But oftentimes there's this spike 
when it gets to those people who have great quantity of time, but there's no quality in their time with people. Um, and this is, <laughs> this is really important because we not only look to be, um, for someone to be with us, but we look for someone to understand us. That makes sense? Um, I wrote it this way. I said, we, we are wanting not only to spend time with someone, but to speak to them and have them listen. And when they have listened, we want them to respond. And in their response, we want them to, we want to hear words that affirm and support us. <laughs> and so we start with, just spend time with me. And then after reading that, you're like, whoa, there's a lot there, right? We want them not just to spend time with us. We want them to hear us. And after hearing us, we want them to speak to us. And in their words to us, we want to be affirmed and supported. (laughs) And I tell you, in the work we do in the schools, I don't hear that. There's been times where I've been super discouraged at the middle school because I'm like, you guys are just insulting each other. Like, that is the conversation they share. It's like, dude, you're an idiot. (laughs) You're an idiot. And it's like, like, that is encouraging. I'm hurting hearing what you're saying to one another. But, but honestly, the, so the quality of friendship, do we have in our relationships quality of friendship where we are bravely speaking words of life and words of encouragement to one another? I, I realized this over the years where I started really, I realized that when I talked to someone, it was very easy to joke with them but then to say something like, I really appreciate this about you, I'd have to look them in the eye and really engage with them because I wanted them to know I wasn't joking anymore. Right? That I was just, I was speaking to them, I was speaking from my heart to their heart, and, and those things honestly like, brings you to a whole different level. All of a sudden your friendship is different. <clears throat> There's this... Um, this challenge we face, though, in these friendships, and I think it's made visible by, um, by this another in- incredible statistic that I read, which is um, in, a, in an article called, Is Facebook Making Us Lonely? Um, and this is what it says. It says, in the face of social disintegration, we have essentially hired an army of replacement confidants an entire class of professional carers. And this is what it points to. It says, and I showed this a number of years ago here at the Refuge, you might remember. In the, in the 40s, 1940s, um, in the United States, there was 2,500 clinical psychologists. In 2010, there was 77,000 clinical psychologists. In the 40s, there was 30,000 social workers Currently, there is 192 clinical social workers and 400,000 non-clinical social workers. You get that? This change from 30,000 to together 492,000. That's massive. Um, In the 40s, this is astounding. It says there was 500 marriage and family therapists. Right now, there is 50,000 marriage and family therapists. Isn't that wild? In the 40s, there was 500. And, and I'm not making, there's, there's so much behind these st- statistics. There's, and I know, like, population growth and this and that. And, but but I, think, I think what they said here is, is profound, which says we have 
we have created professional carers. And, and I think there's something to that. I'm not saying these professions aren't good, like they also mentioned 30,000 life coaches that we have, right? Not that these things are bad, but have we, have we created professions sometimes out of, like, I have no one else to talk to. So I, I have all these friends, but honestly, if I start laying on them my burdens, well, like, is that what our friendship's for? Maybe I'll hire someone who will listen to me and give me good advice. Maybe we don't trust our friends to give good advice. I don't know. What, whatever that is, I think, I think there is something to this. And so we find that even when there is two together, where there is joy, there can be tremendous joy. What the, the metaphor Solomon comes into, which is a cord of three strands is not easily broken, I think with two, we find that it unravels fairly easy, right? And, and we just kind of know that from our experience and, and the life that, that we have. Um, and why is that? Well, the third is this. It says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And this is metaphorical. It's very interesting. So Solomon goes from one to two to three. And for each, he gives examples. But the third one is kind of this like vague metaphor. What do you, Solomon, what do you mean? And I, I do believe in this. Solomon is referring to right sorrow and loneliness, joy in being together. And third, I think he sees that there is strength in God. There is strength in God that, that cannot be found anywhere else. Well, we're two, there is joy together. But, but for some reason in our life, even when those two bring joy together, it seems to unravel. <laughs> we need this, this cord of three strands that, that seems to endure and last and be strong. Um, there's a couple things I want to read you um, that I think illustrate this. And the first is written by Solomon's dad, who is King David. Um, King David wrote this beautiful psalm that a lot of you are familiar with, whether you grew up in the church or not, um, in Psalm 23. And, and I, I want you to hear the strength that is being offered here. In Psalm 23, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yet even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what this turns from is, is loneliness and what we can do even together, the joys we can share together and there's this, this change that happens in this psalm where y- you move from what, what David is doing to then what, when God just kind of takes over. And, and you hear the, the beginning is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's this claiming of who God is in the life of David. 
This is what God is doing for me. He is my shepherd. I shall not be in one because he is the one who provides for me. And then he is doing something. What does he do? He's making me do something. He forces me to lie down in green pastures. Right? He is leading me besides the waters. He is restoring my soul. So there are things that, that we have to admit whether it's because we're in that place of loneliness or even the joy that we share together, which seems to unravel so quickly, we need to admit there's something we need him to do. That though, then it comes back to the I. This is, this is where David starts living out of just me, what I can do. And he says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? You, you feel him take this little detour but then he says, I, I, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they guide me. And this is that, this is that cord of three strands that is not easily broken. Is, is that your comfort and that your joy when, when life and relationships seem to unravel? Um, to share something in the New Testament, um, in John What is awesome about this is in the Old Testament, um, there, there is a lot of heartache in it um, that comes from um, people figuring out what it means to live um, kind of on their own, kind of trying to figure out what, what they can do apart from God. And then, and then the New Testament, what it's introducing is what, what God plans on doing to bring us back into relationship with himself. And in John 17, you have what is called Jesus' high priestly prayer, which is you see in this prayer the motivation for his whole ministry. So if you want to say, Jesus, why did you come? This is it. And he's just praying to the Father. And it he says... I pray also for those who will believe in me through the message of my disciples, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Do you hear the chord of three strands there? That's not easily broken. Jesus' prayer is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May you also be in us, May they, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And that, so what's the ministry of Jesus? The ministry of Jesus is this strength of God that is meant to, to wind around, cover, support, strengthen the relationships he had. He made the world, made relationships, and said, these are good. <laughs> but he, he saw in it as we walked away and, and chose us to walk in whatever we wanted to do, that that, that would unravel, right? And then he says here, he says, but, but Father, my prayer is that they would walk in complete unity. I and them and you and me. So that, that sounds great. 
and is so good. But what does that mean for us as Christians? Um, what does it mean, I think, especially for us who um, have said, yes, God, I want to walk in your strength. And yet, I, I know, I'm, I'm without a doubt, that there's, there's people in here that experience tremendous loneliness. What does that look like for us? Um, two things came to mind when I was uh, writing this sermon, and, and one is a verse that I use all the time. And um, In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are tired, um, and I'll give you rest. And so the first thing is this. Um, I encourage you guys every day to come to Jesus. Like, um, and what I mean by that is, like, we, we are fairly inconsistent people, Okay, I, I'm not even going like, to include you in this. I'll just say like, I'm a fairly inconsistent person. <laughs> um, which means like one day, I, I, I really am walking, I feel like, in strength. And it's very good. And then the next day, I don't know what happens to my heart. Like, I'm just in a different place. <laughs> I don't know how I got there. I just am there. And, and I need to hear again the words of Jesus, Come to me, you who are tired. Um, too often we think, like, we will make a stand and, like, be here, and then we will never change. But the fact is, guys, you and I, we change a lot, right? <laughs> like, we're changing daily. So what does it mean to daily come to Jesus and, again, respond to his call? Come to me, all you who are tired, and I'll give you rest. Um, in Revelation, it presents Jesus, as it says, as one who stands at the door and knocks. And he says that he wishes to come in and dine with us. So it's just really cool. And I, um, oftentimes you hear that, like, um, that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. But you're like, well, if I open the door, what's going to happen? <laughs> well, the image it gives is like of him coming in. He's like sharing a meal with you. And... and and I encourage you to do it. What does it look like? Just like we sometimes over-spiritualize our friendships around us. And don't just enjoy one another. Go on runs together, because I know you guys all love running. Like, whatever. <laughs> Why'd you laugh? That's great. Um, you know, what you do. I think sometimes with Jesus, we don't just, we don't just spend time with him. We're always, like, asking him for things, <laughs> right? Like, okay, God, this is my time where I'm just going to ask you for something again. Like, hey, if you could help me out with, like, like do you spend time with him? Because that, that's what he wants. So he says, I'm going to knock on your, the door of your heart, and you're going to open it up, and I'm going to come in, I'm just going to eat a meal with you. That's the sort of relationship he wants, and that's the sort of relationship he imagines when he says that I am in them, and you are in me, and we are one together. What does that mean to share that? Um, the story of the New Testament is this, that, that Jesus became nothing so that in him we can share in everything that God has to offer. Um, and so my challenge for us is this. One is spend time with him. Just spend time with him, not full of questions and asking him things, but just spend time with him. Um, and then the second thing is Man, I, I encourage you guys so much together not to ignore the loneliness around you. Um, 
to be people who are courageous in walking with one another. Um, the fact is, when you are alone, when you feel alone, even in a group of people, you assume that you are the only one that experiences what you do. And that's just not me like saying what I think. That it literally is what every research says. Is like, you think that you're somehow different, somehow abnormal, somehow no one wants to spend time with you. Um, and I know that can happen not just out in there. I know that can happen here. I know we get up and people will probably talk with people they're familiar with. But um, if you've come and, and you really want to make friends, um, man, I encourage you to be persistent in that. Um, I wish as a church that we were perfect in, like, making friends. <laughs> but the fact is we aren't. And, and I want us to be better at that, to be able to, like, reach out to the person who's lonely and, like, um, invite them to dinner or lunch or whatever that might be. Um, but I encourage you, if you are here and lonely, be courageous. Um, shake a hand with somebody. Maybe you be the one to invite them over to lunch, even though that terrifies you like the Dickens. Um, also, I encourage you guys to plug in with a community group. I, um, and, and also, knowing community groups aren't perfect places. <laughs> You're going to go to a community group, and it might be weird. <laughs> right? Like, when people get together, it's, it's not like we're all normal, right? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to be like, okay, I'm here now. <laughs> right? It takes work to build friendships. Like, it takes work for me to build friendships. But when we build friendships that move, to move us past isolation and loneliness to the place of just enjoying each other and then may those friendships be things be, be friendships that then are, are tied around the strength of God guys enjoy one another together and enjoy him together challenge one another be there for one another um, and that will lead us into a place of I think Incredible celebration and worship. Um, and if you are feeling lonely, I encourage you to know you are not alone. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I had the opportunity to speak somewhere. And um, it's actually where I first started thinking about the story Into the Wild. And I just started thinking of the joy that comes from knowing what's true. Um, the joy of having clarity or hearing something and saying, okay, that's just not true for me. That's true for everybody. And, and I think that's part of the joy of finding strength in God is when, like, there's no moment like the moment where, where this thing called my faith which sometimes feels so private and, and hidden. And I don't always know how to talk about it because it feels weird to talk about it sometimes. That I share with somebody and I see in their eyes that the best experience they've ever had was hearing the name Jesus and something, something made sense to them about that. Right? The story of, of a God who loved the world and, and came to the world and to drop back into a relationship with himself and and I see in their eyes that they get it too. And I'm not making this up. Like, this is me being very sincere with you. Like, there's something about the clarity and the truth 
that happens when you all of a sudden realize that someone else's heart has experienced that. Um, and so I pray, whether it's now or while we sing or wherever it is, share that together, church. Like, share that together. It is hard and weird and sometimes hard to get out of your mouth. But learn to speak about it because nothing brings greater joy than being together and then sharing the strength of God together. Man, it is, it's like a hallelujah moment. So good. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then I encourage you guys, um, as we take communion, to consider what the sacrifice of Jesus means for us in that. And also, I, I challenge you while you're taking communion to think, who am I going to share this with? Not just life, but who am I going to, Who am I going to look in their eyes and say, man, do you know Jesus too? And just share the beauty of that relationship together. So pray with me and we're going to sing. God, I thank you that we don't have to be hidden, that we can be known uh, with all our beautiful parts and all of our faults. We don't have to be people that hide behind work or just paving our own way, but we can even figure these things out together. God, I pray that whether it's during the sermon or when we sing, when the name of Jesus is said, that we can just say a hearty amen in our hearts to that. God, I love you so much, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.